Hello and welcome to episode one of the Discussing Film Newscast. This is going to be the bi-monthly podcast in which we cover all of the film news coming out and which we will be talking about other things such as TV, potentially video game news, if any of it fits the Discussing Film remit. This is going to be every first and third Wednesday and I am one of your co-hosts, Michael Slaven, and I'm joined by Beatrice Shahzad today and we're going to be talking about the SAG Awards and what that means for the ongoing Oscar race. We're going to be talking about the Snyder Cut and all of the effects that has had on the DC news that has come out. On top of that, we're going to be talking about other pieces of casting uh, George R. R. Martin's overall deal with HBO and then we're going to be talking about video game movie news so make sure to stick around and check out all the news so starting off the most recent piece of news was the SAG Awards that happened actually the night before we were actually recording this with really big wins for Chadwick Boseman of Ma Rainey's Black Bottoms and Viola Davis as well and a surprise win for Yoon Yoo Jung what were like the big bits of news from that that stood out to you? Well, first of all, uh, all four winners for the movies category, Best Actor and what, uh, were all people of color, which was for the first time in the history of SAC Awards, which was like a really big deal. And also, Viola Davis' win, um, we really don't know what's kind of happening in that category because like every single news award show so far has kind of picked a different person. So going in the Oscars, like it's kind of a toss up. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's really interesting because you'd think that by now, by this point, usually a front runner has kind of come to the fore. And whilst they aren't always necessarily the people who will then go on and win the Oscar, I really was surprised by Viola Davis because all of the talk from Marini's Black Bottom has been understandably about Chadwick Boseman and his amazing performance. But Viola Davis was really surprising. I personally thought that it was a straight shootout between Carrie Mulligan and Frances McDormand, but maybe, maybe there could be it could be a more interesting category than we originally thought. Um, what what did you think of? How surprised were you by Yunya Jong's win for Minari and her role as a supporting actress? So I know that everyone is expecting Maria Bakalova to win, and she's kind of like the people that everyone's rooting she's the person that everyone is rooting for but i personally thought that yu young jung gave a beautiful performance and if you listen to the way that lee isaac chung talks about it and if you watch minari she i it was a really underrated performance and i hope that more people start to appreciate it because yeah it was really good yeah i absolutely agree i thought that her performance for me i love steven yun i love alan kim i love all of the different actors within it I actually thought that Yunya Jung was the real standout for me, possibly because I was expecting the least from her going into it, because she featured very sparingly in the trailers. So to have her be such a core part of the story was a bit of a surprise, without obviously spoiling anything. Um, but yeah, it was really exciting, and I think it makes a much more interesting uh, run for the supporting actress role. Um, so I, I personally believe it's between her, Maria Bakalova and um, Amanda Seyfried for Mank because Mank obviously being the I, I personally not a huge fan of Mank I know you're not either but I think being the leading nominee for the Oscars I think a lot of the categories such as that I don't think they'll give it best picture but I think a lot of the categories like that might fall to Mank because they go right well I'm not going to vote for it for best picture but I will give it you know Best Supporting Actress, not to downplay her performance, which was, I'd say, the real standout of Mank. Um, but yeah, again, I believe that it's between those three um, moving forward. And obviously everyone should be sure to check out the Discussing Film website where we've got um, the predictions from our leading awards critic. But one thing that even shows with the predictions that we make at Discussing Film where we have our own little ballot, um, it completely changes up each time as to who's rating towards the top. So this is honestly one of the most unpredictable races overall that we've had in recent years and I think the SAG Awards have just really sort of hit that home yeah I mean hopefully by the BAFTAs things will be clearer mm-hmm. I mean some things are definitely 100% clear like Daniel Kalua is definitely going to win Oscar like there's no way he's won everything yeah I agree uh, <laughs> I agree I mean I'd n- I wouldn't be shocked because I think One thing I will say, I think that if Chadwick Boseman doesn't win um, lead actor, I think he'll win supporting. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. But I think he, I think he's nailed on. I think those two are nailed on. I think the female um, category is much more interesting. I'd say the only way I can see it falling out of Daniel Kaluuya's hands is if Chadwick Boseman. I think Chadwick Boseman is going to win one of them. Um, that's not to say that it's because of um, everything that happened and the fact that he passed away. Is they're both incredible performances. But I think when you combine those incredible performances with um, what happened, I think it's very likely that he'll win one of them. And I think whichever he wins will decide the outcome of the other, if that makes sense. While that's really true, I feel like, I don't know, just given the history, I feel like people would highlight his leading actor performance because who else is going to win in that category over him? Mm. Like, Stephen Young? Like, I loved him in Ari, but mm. I just, I think it's unlikely. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. Um, I think, like I said, it's whilst I think that there are some great performances in both, I think the female, I think the SAG Awards has really hit home that the female um, categories are where it's completely unpredictable at this point, and it's obviously really exciting then moving forward to see who's actually going to win those. Um, there were some other actual big uh, stories that came out of the SAG Awards. I would say one of the one of the real surprises for me, which is in an ongoing thing so far has been the snubbing of Tenet, um, which, you know, I, I I like Tenet. I completely understand it's maybe not um, going to be winning Best Picture or any of the acting awards. But one thing that really surprised me was the stunt ensemble. Um, I know this is a very small award, but I think it just really hits home the complete snubbing of Tenet overall because you've got these incredible stunts in Tenet and far, far better than Wonder Woman 1984, in my opinion, the one that actually won it. Um, what do you make of the overall snubbing of Tenet with no uh, Oscar nominations for the score and uh, not a nomination, let alone a win in this one for the stunt work? I mean, I don't even know how to predict the stunt category. It it makes no sense what happened. I, I wouldn't even put it Tenet, uh, not Tenet, I wouldn't even put... Um, Wonder Woman 84 probably in the top three of my predictions. I'm not quite sure how that happened. But once again, I'm not really a stunt artist, so maybe there's something I'm not seeing. Um, Tenet not winning for other categories, though. Like, score, the score was, like, pretty good. But the score category is kind of always a little whack. Like, last year, um, not last year, the year before last year, First Man was not nominated, which everyone thought it was like a shoo-in. Like, it won multiple awards and then it didn't even get a nomination. So, I guess that's true. And then, if you think about all the other categories, like, it's it's one special effects, which makes sense. But then, when it comes to sound, like, it's running against Sound of Metal. Like, there's no way. So I guess it's not as much snubbing as much as it wasn't a good year for Tenet to run against these other movies. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'll I'll move us on soon because we've got a lot of news to get through. But one thing I will say is that uh, if Sound of Metal doesn't win for Best Sound, I will burn down the Oscars and then discussing film. Slight tangent, but I think the Sound of Metal. I think everyone should go and check out that film. I know it's coming out on Prime very soon over here in the UK. Um, but the sound design of it is just absolutely incredible. And when you read the stuff that went into that film, such as there's an article on the website by an amazing writer that we have called Chris, who really looked into the story behind Sound of Metal and all of the work that went into the sound design, absolutely go and read that. And I think it'll give you a massively new light on just how impressive that film is. Um, before we move on, uh, the SAG Award isn't just actually film, it actually also um covers tv as well and there were some unsurprising wins such as anya taylor joy once again winning for the queen's gambit um because it's the miniseries is often so that's such a small category generally there are far less uh releases it's unsurprising that she continues to win pretty much everything that she's up for um i think Anyone who knows me will know that Jason Sudeikis winning for Ted Lasso is amazing. Let's go. If you haven't checked out Ted Lasso, do it now. It's amazing. Were there any um, that stood out for you, particularly from the TV side of things? For TV, not necessarily. Mostly because we've seen a lot of wins from Schitt's Creek 
and we've seen a lot of wins from The Crown, so it kind of went mostly to those two shows, which, unsurprising. Uh, stunt work? The Mandalorian, which I guess... I don't know why they picked that. Once again, don't know much about stunt work. But yeah, everything else was primarily The Crown, Schitt's Creek, mm. as we can expect. Yeah, I think that, obviously, Schitt's Creek... Um is so critically acclaimed i think it's, it's actually really surprising i love ted lasso i found it really surprising just in terms of the love that Shit's creek has been getting from critics that jason sudeikis keeps winning awards for his performance in ted lasso um which is obviously incredible i think Gillian anderson you know anyone who's forced to play margaret thatcher for an extended period of time should be just given all the awards even if the performance is awful just as a compensation for having to live through that um but I completely agree with you that I think that the TV side of things this year, um, whether just because of delays due to the pandemic or just the fact that there weren't a huge amount of big, big releases, I think it's pretty cut and dry heading into the BAFTAs, whereas the film side of things is much more open. Okay, so moving on to the next piece of news, we actually had, obviously, the Snyder Cut of Justice League was released very recently um, to... A huge amount of critical acclaim and fans, obviously, unsurprisingly to anyone who had a few brain cells, did not take lightly to the idea that this is where the Snyderverse would end. And that led to a bunch of calls to hashtag restore the Snyderverse. Um, However, Warner Media CEO Aaron Sarnoff uh, has said that he will not complete his planned trilogy. they're not going to be releasing a future director's cut of David Ayer's uh, Suicide Squad. And then on top of that, the news actually broke that New Gods by Ava DuVernay and James Wan's Aquaman spin-off The Trench were both being cancelled um, in favour of sort of a more streamlined idea of the DC moving forward. What did you make of this flurry of DC news that came out in the wake of the large amount of press from the Snyder Cup? It's not surprising. Yeah. It's very obvious DC doesn't really know what it's doing, and every time something big happens, they try to, like, reshuffle their plans and deflect and, like, try to figure out what they're going to do now. I kind of feel bad for Ava DuVernay because the reason they gave is that they said that they... Because Darkseid wasn't... Darkseid was... Because Darkseid was included in the Snyder Cut, they didn't want to do New Gods, which doesn't make sense... Because yeah. not only is the Snyder Cut not canon, but also, like... Which is baffling. They also said there's there's going to be no continuation of it. So yeah. there's no reason why that movie should impact anything else. I mean, especially with especially with something so as online as the Snyder Cut, which obviously hasn't had the chance to be released in cinemas yet. Normally, we'd be seeing box office numbers. So we're not obviously seeing the financial side of things. But it does seem, as someone who was never particularly that interested in the Snyder Cut and who liked it, but I'm not, like, as mental about it as a lot of people are. It does just seem like such a weird thing that they've gone to all this effort to um, to release this, and they're kind of surprised. It's like, oh, you guys actually wanted that take of those characters beyond just this? Like, And even the film itself, without spoiling anything, it leaves things so open-ended that you can't have been surprised that people saw that and went, well... You've hinted at this. Can we have this? Um, I agree that the, the, the cancelling of New Gods is just really disappointing. And any time that you have someone who there's disagreement at times over Ava DuVernay, but she's clearly a very talented director. And I think when you have those sort of talents taking on comic book properties and then it gets cancelled, such as, you know when we lost the opportunity to see an Edgar Wright Ant-Man film, um, when all these other projects have been cancelled... Um, it is slightly disappointing, I would say, here and there. I mean, the thing for me is, is that Justice League came out so long ago and it flopped. So let's say back in 2017, after this movie came out, if they had someone in charge of DC who said, listen, I know exactly what the next 10 years of DC are going to look like, or even the next five years of DC is going to look like. And then they worked on that plan and then that was set in stone and they knew exactly when they were going to release all their movies. Flash doesn't get pushed back anymore. All these things that they announced, 
don't get pushed back anymore. Mm-hmm. If they said, okay, since we put this into stone five years ago, we can't make any changes based on the Snyder Cut because it's going to mess up with our existing plan. But it's obvious they don't have a plan in place. If the Snyder Cut was able to kind of mess with their already existing plans, then uh, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, and with DC moving forward, I think that they can maybe claim that if it wasn't the fact that it's so obvious how um, up in the air their plans moving forward are. For example, you have Michael Keaton coming out and saying that he doesn't know if he's going to be in The Flash and that it all depends on the COVID response in the UK. When you have Ray Fisher being cut from The Flash over um, the amazing work he's doing, speaking out against the discrimination he faced on the original production of Justice League um, from higher ups at DC. I think if you're able to cut those characters out of a film completely at random, it's clear that you don't have a plan moving forward. Like, if you look at, say, you know, I hate making the comparison between Marvel and DC because so, so much of it is so rubbish, but there are so many projects that you can't just take random characters out because they have plans for them moving forward. And if you just randomly pull them out, that messes up everything moving forward. The fact that they can pull actors out like this and just be completely fine is clear proof they didn't have a plan moving forward, and so they should be adapting to the amazing response they've had. It's just it's just a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, because I just want to make it clear, we're not saying that DC should be more like Marvel, that the movies no. should be more like Marvel. We're saying that the studios should get their stuff together and i i completely agree i'd actually say what i really want from dc is just go the complete opposite way don't try and make this 100 percent coherent universe in which every single thing has to fit have multiple dark sides have multiple batmans be the alternative to marvel in that hey you have to watch uh 16 hours of tv and 20 films to understand this marvel film DC, you don't have to do that. Just watch this Batman film and you don't have to watch anything before. Watch this Snyderverse thing where you only have to watch one movie before this. It feels like a real missed opportunity to take that lane of we're just going to do whatever we want, whatever we think is cool, and we don't really care as much about canon. It's just weird. Um, Speaking of the DC news, though, there is one particular piece of news we were haggling over. Oh, we should cut this. We should leave this in. Um, we should talk about this. We should not talk about this. This piece of news being that you're a little passionate about, would you, would you say? Yes. Would, yes. You, would you like so, to introduce it then? <laughs> I will. I'll say it. Okay. Randy McKinnon is set to write the script for the live action Static Shock. So if you don't know, I love Static Shock. I love the cartoon. And... They, were, they hinted that there was going to be a Static Shock movie in production at DC Fandom. They said it at um, the Milestone Comics mm-hmm. um, thing panel at DC Fandom where they were like, oh, we're bringing back Milestone Comics, and also we're thinking about having more movies with these characters, and we're probably going to make a Static Shock movie. Mm-hmm. We've, it's been in discussions, and then it got announced, and I think Michael B. Jordan is producing. Because he's been and... attached to it for a while, is he not? Yes. For people who don't know, can you give a very brief explanation? Because Static Shock is a character who I'd say is very beloved amongst a niche group of fans, but I would not say has mainstream um, recognition. So can you give a very brief explanation of who the character is and what makes it interesting? Okay, so Static Shock, um, it... I know him from a cartoon from like the early 2000s. So people usually know about like the Batman anime series and the Superman anime series and Justice League. But they actually had crossovers with Static Shock. So I'm kind of shocked that not that not many people have seen the show. But it's about a teenage superhero named Virgil Hawkins, and he has um, electricity powers, and he's kind of a nerd, and he's a black superhero. And I just think he's a really cool dude. And I really loved the show growing up. Like, I was rewatching some of it, and, like, Shaq was in an episode, or, like, Batman's in an episode, and it touched on, like, some pretty serious topics. So I think that this is, like, a really important character. And I was so scared. I'm so scared that this movie is going to get trapped into, like, production hell, and it's never going to see the light of day. Because not only that's what DC does, but I just feel like this is a character that, like, not a huge amount of people are... Um, familiar with so if they're going to cut someone they're going to cut him and i really hope they don't so this is why it was exciting news for me that there was finally a writer attached because mm. that means it's one step closer to being made 
what's Randy McKinnon done before this? Because again, similarly, I think it actually fits quite well that he is not necessarily... It's not like they've randomly just gone out and picked the biggest name they could find to write it. They've picked someone who's a bit less well-known. Who is Randy McKinnon? Um, I don't think he's... I don't know. I know he did a football drama for Disney+, Plus, but I'm not too familiar with his work. But I do think that it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, with your description of he's a pretty cool dude, you know, who's not going to tune in to watch that? <laughs> Jokes. Okay, I don't. Go on, okay, go. he's kind of like what I like is that he's kind of a nerd. At least as he was depicted in the cartoon, and then he's also like he's kind he's of like weird. smart. Yeah, he's he's smart, but he's also like kind of like cool, like chill. You know, he doesn't so, fit in, and he doesn't want to fit in. Shut up! Have you ever seen him without the stupid hat on? You know what? Just what? Go watch the show. <laughs> if you want to make jokes about. Virgil Hawkins and Static Shock, you have to watch the show, okay? I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> putting your foot down. Right, so we've got so much DC news to get through. I think that covers it for Static Shock. Um, uh, arguably the biggest uh, bit of DC news, I would say, was actually on the back of her um, announcement of a nomination for the Oscars and winning Best Original Screenplay at the Critics' Choice, Emerald Fennel was announced to be set to write the script for the Zatanna movie. For people who don't know Zatanna, um, she's a DC character, she's a wizard, uh, she's a, a young girl, and it's a really, really cool character and one of the sort of core cast of DC outside of sort of the seven core members of the Justice League. Um, what did you make of this announcement and what do you think of the Zatanna movie moving forward? I'm very excited there will be a Zatanna movie. Uh, if you don't know who she is female wizard she's cool um but basically here's it's a double-edged sword with emerald fennel because i've only seen promising young woman yeah but her writing is very bold she's like very confident in what she has to say Mm -hmm. which i can appreciate coming from a female writer and telling like female stories but also that means when she like makes a goof when things like don't hit right it's so obvious you weren't a fan of promising young women were you well i did do the review for the site Mm -hmm. and there were some things about the movie that i could really appreciate some like writing decisions she made yeah um but ultimately i feel like at the end it just didn't it wasn't right like it wasn't quite right and i feel like part of that is because emerald fennel was writer director everything so I feel like if more people were in to step in and say, hey, maybe we should think twice before doing this, I feel like it would have been a better outcome. But hopefully with um, if she's on a franchise project, there will be people around her to help, you know, make I don't want to say make better decisions, but be more conscious about the decisions she's making. And plus, it's a superhero movie. I don't think it can be that controversial Mm. as much as like Promising Young Woman. She was also the head writer for season two of Killing Eve, which um is a vastly successful show and really well written uh season one was perhaps slightly more critically acclaimed and loved beloved than season two but season two still had really high ratings and really high reviews so regardless i think it is really interesting when we see this continuation of really really cool indie directors and writers moving into superhero projects such as although he's no longer attached rick famiyiwa who was briefly attached to the Flash, Chloe Zhao moving forward as the director and writer of The Eternals. It is really interesting that we're not necessarily seeing the names you'd expect from superhero projects, but we're seeing people like them, like Taika Titi, who have done these really interesting indie projects. And although obviously there are some reservations about Emerald Fennel, it's a, I think it's definitely a more interesting choice than there could have been. Um, like either direction from the sides of emerald fennel it's gonna be exciting you know it's not gonna be boring definitely not um so we have genuinely so much damn dc news to get through today because of they really saw the snyderverse stuff and were like let's just drop everything um i mean it's only casting news next so just so Ron Livingston was announced to replace Billy Crudup as Henry Allen in The Flash. Billy Crudup obviously played the character in Justice League and in the Snyder Cut of Justice League. And in the Snyder Cut, there was actually an additional scene with him, which was 
really, really great and one of the best portrayals we've actually seen of the relationship between Barry and his father. Um, so that was I find that a real shame. And like we were talking about earlier, it feels really weird the specific areas in which DC are set in that, nope, uh, there are there are overlaps um, in filming for Billy Crudup, so he's not able to make the dates. We're not going to do anything to try and um, change that. We're just going to completely replace him with someone else and a different actor who I personally would just say is less interesting than Billy Crudup. I think Billy Crudup's a really, really good actor. Um, so, yeah, it's just really weird. And then there was some... Would you like to take the rest of the Flash news which got announced? Um, I guess. So, Sersha Monica, Monica Jackson from Dairy Girls and Rudy... Mancuso? Mancuso? Okay. And Rudy Mancuso, best known from Vine, have been <laughs> cast in undisclosed roles. Um, undisclosed, but Dirt- I, I thought he was Reverse Flash. Everyone told me he's going to be playing Reverse Flash. People are dumb. Okay, if you don't know, he showed up to set, or like when he got cast, he showed a picture of him wearing Reverse Flash socks. And everyone's like, oh my god, does this mean he's playing Reverse Flash? <laughs> like, no. He probably went to Hot Topic, and the only Flash merch he could find was Reverse Flash socks. Like, I can promise you exactly that's what happened. Oh, if he's playing Reverse Flash, I will actually cry. That would be brilliant. That would be so funny. Oh my god. Imagine if Reverse Flash is just this Vine kid that, like, Barry insulted when he was, like, a kid. <laughs> And then he grew up to be like, I'm going to kill your mother. <laughs> uh, can I point out, by the way, it's really interesting that you got Sersha right, but Monica was the part that you stumbled over with her name. <laughs> We're keeping that in the edit. I'm, I'm saying this so you can't take out the edit. I love that Sersha, the Irish name which everyone gets wrong, was the part that you did right, but Monica wasn't. Um, I think because of the fact that Rudy Mancuso has been cast and he's so well known from Vine... Um, not entirely positively, it must be said. Um, not not that he's done anything wrong, just, you know, not necessarily held up the best comedically, not that funny. Um, Saoirse Monica Jackson, though, is really cool casting because for those who don't know, Derry Girls is absolutely hilarious. Um, and compl- it's, I don't know if it's really made it over to the US, but in the UK it is beloved. Um, so it's really great to see her getting big work like that. Is it I mean, I don't think it's as big here. Yeah. It's not as big here, but everyone I know who watches it really likes it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Americans struggle with English accents sometimes, let alone they are very thick dairy accents in it. That means no one's going to watch this because of your English accent, so you've made your bed, now lie in it. Right, moving on. Um, another really huge piece of news. So Pierce Brosnan was cast as Dr. Fate in Black Adam, which has joined an absolutely stacked cast with Dwayne The Rock Johnson playing the titular Black Adam, with Quintessa Swindell, who we interviewed on Discussing Film, um, playing a character in the Justice League of America alongside Nurse Antinio and a few other actors. What did you make of Pierce, Pierce Brosnan being cast as Dr. Fate? What is happening? Absolutely no thoughts, head empty. Like, I guess it works, but then again, like, I don't find Dr. Fate a particularly, like, nuanced role Mm. that, like, I can see basically every kind of, like, white guy in that role. Right? I guess white doesn't matter. I guess I could see anyone in that role, particularly. Um, So this is, like, not surprising. It's just, this is just, like, a very safe pick, I guess. Yeah, and it's a big name that on on the press tour they can wheel out Pierce Brosnan for all of them and then, you know, it gets them the extra SEO of having him in the title of every interview they do um, because uh, people such as Quintessa Swindell and Noah Centineo, um, Quintessa Swindell at least, really great actor. Noah Centineo has this sort of uh, thing on Netflix and a lot of his films are really successful. Doesn't quite have the same name attraction as Pierce Brosnan. Um so I'd say that's probably a big part of it. And he is a good actor, I guess. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's not the most interesting, I'd say, which is why people might be surprised by how far we've got this down. Um, we will actually, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, you will see some pieces on discussing film about Black Adam because a slight issue with this is this is an, yet another um, non-Arabic uh, actor who's being cast in the film 
Black Adam, which is supposed to be set uh, in Egypt as an Egyptian character. And obviously they've cast an American in Dwayne The Rock Johnson um, for that role. So that's just another sort of slight, I'd say, issue with this casting. I'm not saying necessarily Dr. Fate, he is white in the comics. It's not like they've whitewashed him. But for a, a film supposed to be set um, in the Middle East, there are very few Middle Eastern actors in it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the only Middle Eastern actor is the villain, which yeah. I think this is this is where the problem is because when you think about like diversity in Hollywood, you have to be like conscious of these things mm-hmm. because um, while it is a diverse cast, they're not all white. Um, we have to think about the roles traditionally assigned to Arab actors and Middle Eastern actors, and most of the time they are cast as villains. So even in a movie which bases a lot of its plot and mythology so heavily from Arab, Middle Eastern mythology, Mm -hmm. um, there should be a place for Arab people in this movie because it would be the easiest place to like justify casting them. And they're not being and they're all and they're still only being cast in villain roles. So Mm. um, I think that's kind of the main issue when looking about the diversity in this movie, because it's something we have to be conscious of. Like if this is the movie where Arab people. Arab or other Middle Easterns can be cast as heroes. Then what? Where? Where are they supposed absolutely, to be cast? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, as I kind of mentioned, uh, look out on discussing film in the next couple of weeks. Some of the amazing Arab writers on the site are going to be doing a piece or two about that, um, and we'll be able to say it far more eloquently and in far more informed fashion than we'll be able to. But just in a general thing, moving forward with this podcast, we do want to make the point that these are the kind of things that we're going to talk about. It's not just saying the general stuff and saying the expected lines of it we will be talking about diversity we will be talking about issues around that and we will be doing a lot of criticism of studios that we do not think are doing a good enough job i know that me and bean are both incredibly passionate about that and have very strong held views on those things um so yeah that's just something to keep in mind when we're sort of discussing all this casting um moving on however Two more pieces of DC casting news and then we're all done. We can move on from DC. They've really dropped it this week. It's unsurprising with all the buzz around the Snyder Cut, but moving on. Helen Mirren has been cast as a villain role for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Um, She's playing, I believe it's a character written exclusively for the film. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Uh, Would you like to give us a bit more about what we know about the role? Um, I think she's just playing the daughter of Atlas. So obviously in the second film, they're going to lean more into the mythology aspects and the mythology history behind Shazam, which is exciting because I feel like people were missing that from the first one. And this is a clear indicator that they're definitely going to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think Helen Moran is going to serve. That's all I have to say. Yeah, it's great. It's not much we can say because we don't have a lot of information on the role yet, especially with we don't have the comics to inform our knowledge of what she's going to be portraying but Helen Mirren yet again we're talking about how much the comic book movie game has changed up in recent years and how much of a viable mainstream um, thing it is for actors look at the last two names of Pierce Brosnan and Helen Mirren those are absolute A-list actors Um, so it is really interesting to see them being cast in comic book films um, and then moving from that to another A-list actor, Jordan I'm Fisher. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. He's your favorite. He's an A-list actor. Jordan Fisher has been cast as Bart Allen in CW's The Flash, playing Impulse. Uh, what do you make of that being as you know a small fan of Jordan Fisher? Okay, you, you're making it sound like I'm a huge, huge Jordan Fisher fan, but I, thought you were. I, I do like him. Okay. Just because he's a musical doesn't mean like I love him, but I also kind of do love him. Jordan Jordan Fisher is the most likable human alive. I swear to God. The most likable human. The like, I'm sorry, the most likable human alive. Like it makes perfect sense that they would cast him as like Barry's son because he's getting cast as Barry's son because Barry and Grant Gustin is a super likable person. So it just makes sense. Like, they kind of have, like, very similar energies, like Barry in the show and Jordan Fisher. But I think what's noting for this is that um, they cast him as his son, apparently. Apparently, maybe not. In the comics, in the comics, it's complicated because I think technically he's his grandson, but he's also from the 30th, yeah, the 30th century or the 31st century. So 
he only knows the Flash and like Barry Allen as a legend, so he kind of has like that admiration from being a distant relative and not like directly knowing him. So people are saying, why do that? Um, what makes me confused is that if you watch the show, that was kind of the dynamic he had with his daughter Nora where she didn't mm-hmm. really know him, but she only knew the Flash as a legend. So I'm not sure why they're doing this again. Honestly, with CW, who knows? But it continues the pipeline of musical to CW that's been happening um, in the past. Uh, and Jordan Fisher, as you said, is a really great actor, so it's really exciting to see and yeah. hopefully should, should bring some eyes back to the Flash because it is still an interesting show at points. I would say, despite being so far into its run. Yes, he is going to be in the 150th episode, which kind of makes me seem that this will be just like a one-off thing, which I'm Mm. fine with that. I don't know. But also, go stream Grease Live. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Right. We're finished with DC News. Woo! Finally. Finally. So moving on from DC News, George R. R. Martin. Woo. He has signed a five-year overall deal with HBO, which is apparently worth a mid-eight figures because they've realised with how awful the last season of Game of Thrones was, maybe let's just let George R. R. Martin write whatever he wants and let's not do Game of Thrones things without him. Um, I Rather than asking your opinions on this, one thing I will ask, have you ever seen the reputation of something fall as quickly and without anyone questioning it as Game of Thrones. I probably have, but I don't want to think about it right now because I forgot for a reason. <laughs> so let's just move forward with this. It just it just feels like three, four years ago, George R. R. Martin signing a five-year deal with HBO would be the biggest piece of news for weeks on end. But this kind of came and went without much discussion. And I think that in large part obviously was the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones, which he had no nothing to do with. We're not going to talk about that too much, because what new can you say about the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones? But I Wait, just also really... some news we should bring up right now. What mm-hmm. news we should bring up is that also he's bringing Game of Thrones to Broadway and West End, and he's is already he? signed on. Yes, he's doing a play. He's writing a, we're, there, he's writing a game. I'm not sure if it's him, but there's going to be a Game of Thrones play. For oh, Broadway I don't know anything about Western. musicals. It's you not a musical, okay? It's not a musical a to play. Film podcast. How dare you? How? No, how it's a dare you, Bean. It's a play adaptation, and it ties into this because it's George R. R. Martin making a crap ton of money off of Game of Thrones. Still, when he hasn't even released the last book. How dare you? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Anyways, apparently there are five five prequels in development, and only care. one has been greenlit. I don't care. I just, I know that it's partially just the last season, but I feel like they've really misjudged how much of an, how much demand there is for Game of Thrones stuff now. Because I don't think there's any, I don't think people care. No one's talking about this in a negative or a positive way. I would not be shocked if after one prequel, they're all cancelled. I'm very willing to sound like a dumbass in saying that but i would okay not be okay shocked. but have you considered have you considered that the first prequel is about dragons and that's why people watch the show i mean yeah but who cares who cares i'm just saying i feel like people will tune in i feel oh, like uh, just I mean, people will out. i just don't think that it's going to be worth mid eight figures I mean, he's not only doing Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also doing two other adaptations for them. Mm-hmm. Which that be, are based... Yeah. He's, a, he's a great writer, so it, it will be interesting to see. I just think that they have really missed the mark in terms of the appeal of Game of Thrones projects, um, which I think is proven by how few people were speaking about this news. I mean, I think that's why they didn't greenlight, greenlight the other four adaptations. They've only greenlit one. So I think they're going to do the one with the most mass appeal, the Targaryen adaptation. And then if that flops, they're going to be like, okay, George, we're going to sign you on for a bunch of other projects that you can help us with that are not necessarily Game of Thrones. So in even more news, um, the Minari cast are staying winning. You love to see it. 
after a win from the SAG Awards for one member of the cast. Stephen Yeun has been cast in two different projects. He's going to be in Jordan Peele's next movie, and he's going to star alongside Ali Wong in a Netflix film uh, alongside A24 called Beef. And then on top of that, Alan Kim has been cast in Aquafina's show, uh, Nora from Queens. Of these pieces of news, which are the ones that stand out to you? Well, I think that this show, it's called... Another show, it's... Yeah, it's a show. The Stephen Yeun... Um, oh, I thought that was a movie. My bad. <laughs> no. Um, it's uh, The show for Netflix is called Beef. I think that Netflix pairing with A24 is going to be so good. Like, the mm. premise sounds a little crazy, but I feel like they'll be able to pull it off. But I know that people are most excited for the Jordan Peele movie. I mean, yeah, because he, he joins an already stacked cast with Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, both already cast. Yeah. I think someone pointed out that, like, Steven Yeun really does not work with white directors. And, like, oh, yeah, power yeah, yeah. to him. Because if it's... it's like, um, So there's Minari, there's this... Uh, which there's Burning, which he also starred in. Um, you just love to see it. He's he's promoting diversity Sorry through to the walls you. he's picking. Sorry to bother you, obviously. Writing about that in my dissertation. Can't imagine why. How on earth I've forgotten that, but I have. Um, yeah, I just think it's really interesting. It's really great to see the cast of Minari, which is such a great film, um, continuing to get work. Um, then well, I'm gonna pair two pieces of news together because. There was two a dual set of news that came out, which I think is just furthering furthering the fact that we are finally going to be getting good uh, video game adaptations in TV and film. So first up, there was an announcement that the Ghost of Tsushima story is going to be adapted into a movie um, directed by Chad Stahelski uh, of John Wick. And then on top of that, there were some announcements about the starting of filming of The Last of Us, which is going to be taking place over almost a full year, which we imagine will match the fact that The Last of Us game takes place over the four seasons and that they're um, filming that properly as opposed to doing it uh, on some closed off set somewhere. Uh, which of these two pieces of news stand out to you most as a more interesting project to talk about? Honestly, I do not know much about video games. God damn you, Bean. So this doesn't interest me much. I'm so excited for both of these. I think between the two, people are probably mostly excited for The Last of Us because I Mm -hmm. hear that's very critically acclaimed. It is. It's so good. The cast is, like, pretty good. And Mm. this is just, like, really interesting way to film it, which kind of shows that they're kind of taking this seriously and mm-hmm. they're willing to think out of the box so i think that's what stands out to me and i think you got to see the commitment that shows with the last of us because they've got pedro pascal who's one of the most like hotly acclaimed actors right now and almost everyone will be trying to book him and this the last of Us show so the script it, he's so committed to the script and they're putting so much money behind it they've managed to book out 11 months of pedro pascal's time to me that just says wow, what we're about to get is going to be amazing. And to anyone who's played The Last of Us, it's such an easy... Like, if they manage to mess this up, I will curl up in a ball and cry. It's such an easy home run of just taking one of the most cinematic games of all time and just slap it on TV with Pedro Pascal. I I do not see where this can go wrong. But then Ghost of Tsushima is also just a really interesting film. I'm a bit disappointed that we didn't see a Japanese director um, chosen. Chad Stahelski is a really great uh, director and John Wick is really fun. Um, It's a bit disappointing with how fantastically Ghost of Tsushima um, does with adapting Japanese culture. Um, But yeah, that's still quite exciting, I'd say, moving forward. Um, So hopefully, with obviously the exception of Sonic, because if we don't mention that, we will be crucified because for some reason, Sonic fans are so deeply in discussing films' mentions. With the exception of that, we should be getting our first good video game adaptation. So, in the penultimate piece of news that we're going to be properly talking about and discussing, Knives Out 2 
um, was announced to be nearing a Netflix deal worth more than $400 million for Knives Out 2 and 3. Um, that should mean that the casting uh, should be announced soonish because it's underway at the moment and filming begins in Greece soon. Um, what do you make of this, which is, we were discussing this in Discussing Film Chat, one of the biggest acquisitions by a streamer ever, arguably. He deserves. He deserves so Mm -hmm. much and more. If anything deserves this movie, it's Knives Out. It was like one of... Because I love murder mysteries, and the last murder mystery I saw in theaters was Murder on the Orient Express, and that movie was not good. So not only is this original film, which we don't see much from Hollywood, going into original series, this was an actually good, likable, funny, but also smart murder mystery movie. And I just want to see a hundred more of these. I don't care how much money it takes. The only downside is that I own the Knives Out Blu-ray. I don't own many Blu-rays, but since it's coming out on Netflix, I'm worried about it not getting a physical release if the Netflix deal goes through. So um, Knives Out Criterion, maybe? I hope so. I mean, uh, so it was confirmed then that the, I think it was by Jamie Lee Curtis, that the cast of the first film, with the exception of Benoit Blanc, will not be returning, which I'm really excited. I love the idea of just, like, a different cast each film because I think it also makes it so that you can get much bigger actors on because they're not having to commit to, you know, multi-film deals. Um, what's your? What Do you have any dream casting for um, Knives Out 2 or 3? I've not really put much thought into it other than the fact that I want Daniel Craig to do a different bad accent every single film i that would just really that would make the film beautiful for me do you have any thoughts about what you'd want to see from the upcoming sequels um i don't have any thoughts like for specific actors but one thing that i wish we saw more of because if you played like murder mystery games usually what makes them interesting is that since they're all like trapped together they have to figure out who did it mostly every single person has a wildly different backstory and a wildly different like they you know history all these things but they all have like valid motives for doing it which we didn't really see in Knives Out. Knives Out, they were all kind of like family members, so they all had different beefs with the grandfather, but they were all kind of coming from the same place. So I hope we see like more diversity in that aspect going to the future Knives Out movies, because I think that's like very interesting to see, but it was something that was lacking from the first movie. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think you could have just stopped at you have no thoughts whatsoever. I feel like that was... <laughs> that bit was clear, but like... I completely agree with what you're saying. It could be interesting to see whilst Knives Out 1 portrayed all these people from a higher class background and although it satirized them, it would be interesting to see a more diverse cast in terms of the backgrounds that they come from and just a more diverse cast in general. Um, So we have two more pieces of news that you have one proper piece of news which we'll discuss and then one thing you want to mention. I'm going to hand over to you now, Bean, because you have fought tooth and nail to get these pieces of news in. So this... This better be good. This this better be top-tier news. This will not mean a lot to a lot of people, but I kind of read a lot of books. And one of the most popular books, um, and I like fantasy, so one of the most popular books that people in my age group and people who like fantasy read is the A Court of Thorns and Roses series, which I find incredibly boring, and people read for the romance. And it's getting a series on Hulu, from the guy who did Outlander, Ronald D. Moore, which I understand why they did this. It's just I'm kind of tired of when we get fantasy adaptations, they're usually trying to be the next Harry Potter or they're trying to be the next Game of Thrones. And if we're going to get something that isn't either of those, it kind of makes me upset that it has to be Akotar, which is the <laughs> which is the abbreviation of Thor- A Court of Thorns and Roses. It makes me kind of upset that it has to be that because it is just so basic and dull and people only read it for the romance. And there's so much in the fantasy genre beyond just like things that people read for romance, especially targeted towards women, because I feel like if this wasn't, if, if it was a genre that was more targeted towards men, we'd be seeing more adaptations. But the fact that they picked such so, something that's like, while it is going to be extremely financially successful, it is going to be 
kind of boring. Like, the plot, even people who like it can admit that the plot isn't really that engaging. Um, it's not really saying much about politics. Like, fantasy is a great um, medium for allegory and all these things, but it's just basically there for romance. And they knew what they were doing when they got the Outlander guy to do it. So that's, it's kind of upsetting to me, honestly. Um, but I hope if it does well, we'll get more interesting adaptations because they know it'll make money and we'll not get more of the same. Because right now, kind of that genre of book is very popular, like kind of like fairy romances, which sounds kind of dumb, but it is what's very popular right now. So I hope that if we get, if this gets greenlit and it does well, we see more fantasy adaptations that aren't just that. Because I'm afraid that this is gonna be like a slippery slope to a bunch of incredibly like boring fae romances, um, which I hope is not the case. But I hope that if this gets greenlit, more interesting things get greenlit in the future. And then in the final piece of news, fought tooth and nail to get this in. I don't have much to say, but Kermit the Frog, um, his little song, Rainbow Connection, one of the best songs ever written, is getting added to the Library's Congress of National Recording Registry, which, good for him, my king. Stand for our national anthem. And it is some big news because that's a really high honour and there are very few things that are actually added to the National Registry. So, yeah, that is that is the final piece of news for our first ever episode of Newscast. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will be doing these episodes twice a month for the next couple of months and then we will be hopefully ramping up to once a week, assuming that everyone's enjoying this and that we continue to pump these out. Um so make sure to follow Bia Bean on Twitter and to follow MichaelSlave98 as well as Discussing Film. You know, that's the place, as you, I'm sure, already know for all of your film news moving forward. On top of that, be sure to follow our own podcast Twitter at DF Newscast, which, you know, just imagine it as the Discussing Film account, but they've given me and Bean the password to it. So what more do you need to know? They'll, and... That will be where you'll be able to see all the new episodes moving forward as well as on the Discussing Film page. Are there any final things you want to say before we wrap it up, Bean? Um, we're going to try and get this on Spotify and other and YouTube, and we'll see where else we can fit it. Uh, we'll also link the articles in the YouTube, so you'll know mm -hmm. if you want to read more about any one piece of news. And, yeah, that's it. And uh, make sure to go and watch Ted Lasso. <laughs>